John 15, um, I can say this quite emphatically, and I think you'll agree with me. I love the Gospel of John. And so many of you have given me so much encouragement on it, and the encouragement that I know is this. I could really mess up, but it'd still be hard to mess up the Gospel of John because you could just read it. And even if you don't understand everything in it, Jesus is talking and saying things that nobody else could say and nobody else would say. And we love him for it. Now, last week, this is uh, tonight, is, um, it's the eve of it's Rosh Hashanah, that Jewish New Year begins at sunset. Ten days later is Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. Last week we went through Leviticus 25 along with the first five verses of John 15. As I had mentioned, I had no idea about the Shemitah, this whole thing about the year of release that's going on. I just knew I wanted to go to Leviticus 25, and then I found out that that's all happening. And if you didn't hear about this, uh, then you just need to listen online or something, uh, because I'm not going to repeat it. But uh, we're all looking for Jesus uh, in his word, in, in culture, in life, and he is working. Don't doubt that. You won't always see it clearly, but he is working. And as we begin today, I need to kind of tell you a story. And if you've heard this and you know the end of it, keep your mouth shut, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Did I say that real nicely? Because that's, I really want to be a nice guy. Okay. So this really happened this, uh, it, about <laughs> over two decades ago. You know, Japan is pretty famous for their, uh, their rail lines, their high-speed trains. You know, they have really great high-speed trains. And they were developing a new one that was going even faster. And they wrote, uh, they wrote, they con- contacted Boeing because they knew and had had contact with Boeing. They have a chicken bazooka, not live chickens, but that they shoot uh, chickens at, their, um, at the glass that they've created for the airplanes because birds will fly into it as they're taking off up to a certain level, up to two or 300 miles an hour. It would be a bad day for the pilot in the plane if a bird crashed through your glass. So they, they test them with these baz- chicken bazookas. You should get one. You, know, you could incorporate it to the restaurant. Okay. So anyway, they, they connect with Boeing. They have their new shields. So they, they, and these guys are very meticulous, and everything's lined out. And they put the glass, you know, they had it set up like a, like a regular train. The glass, the seat, there's the bulkhead behind it, etc. They go out, set the distance, set the chicken gun, plug the chicken in, fire. <laughs> right through the glass. Right through the back of the seat where the pilot would be sitting, or the driver. Right into the bulkhead. Uh, they start all over again, contact Boeing briefly, and just, you know, they go over all their specs. They do it again, same thing. They, they call Boeing. Boeing's guy says, look, we want you to detail, give us a detailed run of every complete detail from start to finish, buying the chickens, everything that you did, everything that you did, so that we can figure out why this is going wrong. It couldn't be that bad. It shouldn't be that bad. So the Japanese company went through every detail. They faxed it over or emailed it. It was probably faxed back then, wasn't it? Faxed it to Boeing. Boeing goes over their notes and faxed them back one sentence. And the sentence is, first, you must defrost the chickens. You see, (laughs) a frozen chicken is like an atom bomb. You know, it's like a cannonball. 
They went to the market and bought chickens, but they bought frozen ones. They're probably easier to fit in, and they slide nicely and everything, but you got to follow directions, see? Life can be one of those burdens Joel was praying about is when you're doing things wrong. You know, honestly, there's a scripture that says the way of a transgressor is hard. And that's not, oh, those bad people out there. When I transgress God's ways, when I mess up, when I'm not even, even in, not intentionally, but just by happenstance or lack of attention, I just create problems for myself. You know, I've done that. Has anybody else here done that? Yeah. So anyway, Jesus in John's Gospels, the great I am, he, he declares himself to be I am, not I was or will be, I am, eternally so. And we're going to read the first eight verses, even though we've read the first five before. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, remain in me, dwell in me. And I in you, and the branch, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide with me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus is not rebuking his disciples. He's not yelling at them. He's encouraging them and directing them. And in less than 24 hours, he is going to be cut off, killed, crucified. You with me? He's walking out from the upper room on his way to the garden. We think he's in between traveling as he's talking to his disciples, maybe stopping on the way. We don't know all that, but you can tell from the scriptures that he's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, but not there yet. So he says he's already told them, and he's going to die within 24 hours, yet he's telling his disciples, I'm your source of life. Not I was, not I will be. I am the true vine. I am your source of life. How is that possible? Well, if he's going to die because of the resurrection and because of what it all implies. And he says you're already clean. It's his eternal word. The word of God is cleansing you. It's the word of God is a cleansing agent. When God's word comes in, it's like uh, a bar of heavy-duty lava soap or whatever's that gristy one or the can of the car guys cleaning hand stuff it's, it makes it creates action it creates something it does something to grease and germs and and really truly uh, can you read god's word and not change yeah you could but the work of the spirit is through god's word is it's a cleansing agent it condemns sin his word inspires holiness his word causes growth spiritually and produces fruit spiritually that's what God's word does. Now, the unfruitful believer that's spoken of here, and I believe it is the believer, every branch in me, and if you're going to go through the in me's verses, it seems, I'm not perfect on this, people will debate it, but it seems that he's talking clearly about the believer. He will, um, every branch um, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well, that word is translated many more times, lifts up. 
Um, it's still debated, but lifts up, works with you. He doesn't just throw away his believer. And, and you know, the, uh, that's the unfruitful believer. And, and the reason that I would kind of go that way is because in Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, about verses 10 through 15, which we studied on Tuesday uh, at noon, we saw that Paul says, listen, there's no other foundation than any man can lay than Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're going to have anything to do with God in a real concrete way, catch my pun, it's important, in a concrete way, it's going to, the foundation is going to be Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation to build on. But let each person take care on how they build on that foundation. Because if you build with gold and silver and precious stones, or you build with wood, hay, and stubble, the day is going to declare it and reveal it, and it will be revealed by fire. So what happens when you put gold in fire? It purifies it. What happens when you put wood in fire? It consumes it. It's gone. It's ashes. Very simple picture, very clear picture. And, he, so, and then he goes on to say, if any man's work is, uh, is done in you know, righteous work, things that you're, you're really honoring the Lord, and these things are going to last, these things are going into eternity, this is your treasure in heaven. And this is coupled with other verses that we have clear picture about this uh, Bema seat, the reward seat of Christ. Not judgment, not condemnation, not separating. That's at the great white throne. But a different judgment seat of rewards. And he goes on and he says, so if any man's, uh, if he builds with wood, hay, and stubble, his works will be lost, they'll be consumed, but he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. You know, and there in Jude it says, uh, some people you just pluck them out by their spotted burning garment. (laughs) I'm kind of paraphrasing here. You know, you yank them out, like don't even pay any attention to anything else, just get them out of their sin. Other people, you have compassion and be slow. But the point is, get help people. Help people find Jesus and go to heaven. And, and the thing is, is that our works are going to be tested. It's true. Does it, this, listen, listen. What if God said through the Apostle Paul and his disciples, hey, just take two minutes and ask Jesus to be your Savior, repeat this simple prayer, and then do whatever you want, nothing really matters. Live any way you want, none of it matters. Is that a God that makes sense to you that you would follow? Say a two-minute prayer and then just do whatever you want. Nothing matters. Does that make, that doesn't make sense about anything in life. It doesn't mean that God's mean and mad and can't wait to turn on the flamethrower. <laughs> but he is motivating us. There are things in life that really matter. And there are things in life that don't matter near as much as we pay attention to them. And it's interesting because Skip and Kathy put up a verse on Facebook that was from Proverbs chapter 4, 3 or 4. Keep your heart. Above all things, keep your heart. You ha- it was a different translation I'm used to, and so I'm going to ruin it by translating it to my... But, but keep your heart above all things because it's the issues of life. How did it go, Kathy? It's for... Yeah. Everything, keep your heart above all things. Okay, does that mean we don't care about what's going on in the world? No. Does that mean we don't take care of life circumstances? No. Does that mean we don't give attention and thought to how to deal with our family circumstances, jobs, the culture around us, and problems that we're facing in a world that's going haywire and crazy? 
Do we care about those things? Do we engage in those things? There's some way to engage in those things. Above all those things, keep your heart. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, even makes it just right, and loses his own soul? So, you know, the, God's word to me isn't, Rick, you shouldn't care about anything, but it's you need to care about your heart being right with me above everything. Boy, what a stabilizer. When I start to go off track, when anger, frustration, fear starts to take me, when judgmentalism and I want to kind of, you know, control everybody around me, not me, I'm not like any of that, but some of you are, and I just thought it would help you. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm actually very kind. <laughs> oh, Lord help. So anyway, uh, saved by fire, man. The works are going to be tested. They have to be. It, you know, it really is just another way of saying something that every person in this room who's over 15 years old has said or 20 years old. You can't take it with you. Everybody said that. Even if you can't take it, even non-believers say that. Even people don't believe in God, you can't take it with you. So is that true? You can't take it with you? So that means it's going to burn up as far as it relates to you. So, so the things that matter are the things that matter. It doesn't mean anything you like is just personal doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter as much as what God has for you. And if you can keep your attention and focus there, your life can be more fruitful. So the non-abiding, the, 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 the branch that's doing well, he prunes it because every gardener tries to make his tree more fruitful, not doesn't just say, well, that's good enough. He's always tweaking it, making it a little better. Those sucker branches we talked about last week. Clipping those out so that all the energy goes in the right place. And the, the non-abiding branch, I think, is pretty clearly speaks of the unsaved rather than the true believer. You know, in John chapter 1, it says right in the first, within the first five verses that Jesus is the light that lights every man that comes into the world, every person. Well, if Jesus is the light that lights every person, then does that mean everybody's saved? No. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Everybody's going to be with Jesus because they're light, because he put light in them. No, it's the light that shines into the heart that gives light and the ability to see and to know eternal things. And yet man chooses either to yield to that light and let that light completely overtake him or to reject the light and walk in darkness. And so um, a branch with no life without Jesus speaks to me as clear as I can get as an unbeliever. And the message, of course, is that don't be that way. And don't be a believer who is not letting the Lord work in you, but abide in the vine. That's the message. So if I didn't get it all right, if we debate over some of the issues in here, what difference does it make? Because ultimately, what are you trying to gain today? The wisdom to bear fruit. Is that right? Is that why you're here? I mean, if you're here to critique me, you'll find lots of things to do about that, but you won't grow spiritually. You'll just become a better critic. But if you want to grow, then probably what you and I want to do is learn how to abide in the vine, how to draw life, because no one gardens hoping for no fruit. And God's design for his disciples is to be fruitful. And believers have a supernatural desire to be fruitful. Is that right? A believer can go through a lot of ups and a lot of downs. You know, sometimes I'm up, yeah, and sometimes I'm down. <laughs> I'm going to do Amy Ripkema's Sing My Way Through the Bible Study. <laughs> we'll see how many people show up next week. 
<laughs> Although when she does it, it's wonderful. But okay, so Amy, I know you're out there, and the kids. Thank you. Um, you know what? We'll have our ups and downs and times where you really you feel like you don't care, like you can't do it. You'll have all these emotions and etc. But deep within the believer's heart, they know that they know that they know. I've got to become fruitful. I need to be fruitful. I want God to work in my life. Isn't that true? You, you wouldn't, some of you would not be here today if that wasn't true. The Lord just kept pulling on your heart, pulling on your heart, pulling on your heart. God, I want to be fruitful. 9 through 15. As the Father loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? He's on his way there now. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Pretty dramatic statements he's making. How do we become fruitful? Well, Jesus promises us through this whole chapter, this whole section of speaking, that the nutrition that flows from him is he's the true vine, that real nutrition spiritually flows, and it will come to you. But he instructs us on how to tap in. As the Father loves me, and as I love you, abide in my love. Well, how does the Father love Jesus? Wow. Totally, sacrificially, unwaveringly. Uh, You could throw a lot more words in there, couldn't you, about the way the Father loves Jesus and Jesus loves us. Well, um, I'm not quite there. How about you? I'm not like, okay, I'm not quite there. This is the point. Because it's not about you. It's not about how much energy you have. <laughs> Who's been saying that lately? Anyway, it's not about how much energy you have. It's not about how much personal power you have and pizzazz and charisma. It isn't about you within just yourself. It's about the God that's flowing through you. We're going to see that more. Talk about that more. It's important. This is the point. You must remain in me, Rick. You've got to believe in my love, trust me, and come to the source. It's as if the Lord's saying, first, you must defrost the chickens. <laughs> you know, don't get things out of order. I knew there was a real place for that story, and, you know. <laughs> I had been waiting, spoken. He, I'm speaking these things so that my joy will remain. It'll stay with you and it'll fill you up. Listen, why don't you do this with me? Turn to Galatians chapter 5. It's really the place, there's another place in Romans that talks about fruit to the kingdom, which is people getting saved and that we bear fruit through other people's lives. Several places, how we influence other people into salvation and to stronger walks, and that's absolutely true. There's several different places, but the biggie to most people is Galatians chapter 5, and it's really interesting how the first three in verse 22, in contrast to the work of the flesh, the things that are produced by human nature and human energy apart from God. It says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Stop. Why did I say stop? 
because that's where most people stop. That's what we do by nature because what we're looking for typically, now if this isn't you and you're ahead of us, thank you for being ahead of us, lead us. But our typical general way of being is is that we're looking for love, joy, and peace to come to us, and we're looking for these things to, to um, uh, are, they're needed by us. And they are mentioned in John 15, but you know what? In John 15 and 16, if 14, 15, and 16, you'll find every fruit of the Spirit shown to you by Jesus. He's living, breathing fruit of the Spirit. He is the Spirit, and he is bearing its fruit. And I'm not faulting us for wanting love, joy, and peace, but, you know, there are the other parts to it. You know, there are the other uh, elements, such as long-suffering. Because, see, I, I, you know, when I'm really hurting, I, I, I pray for joy and peace, but I don't pray, God, make me long-suffering. <laughs> Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. You're not under some burden. Yeah, if you're friends, if you do what I say, but he's saying, I'm telling you to love. And if you go to 1 John, it's all about John's uh, expression of what Jesus has been saying here in the Gospel of John. It's the same author who got all the information who Jesus brought to his remembrance, the things to write in the Gospel of John. And later in his life, when he writes 1 and 2 and 3 John, he's thinking through the same things that you're reading in the Gospel of John. And he's expressing them in a way that is anointed by God. But it's pretty cool, and it's a great way to study the Bible, is to see where it's connected to other things. It's not just, the scriptures aren't just these blurbs or thing, whatever I'm doing up here. You know, floating through the universe, you just grab them out of space and just apply them. They do apply. You can read one verse and get a lot out of it, and it can touch your life. But the richness of the scriptures is the fact that it's all one, and it's connected. It's, it's beautiful. It's beyond us. I'll never figure it all out. That's why I keep reading. Not to fill my head, but to grow my heart. And so, the big three, love, joy, and peace. Well, they're there. He talks about all three of those in this, these chapters pretty clearly. But, but, but it's not just for, about what comes to you. This isn't talking about, here's what I want to just come to you. Jesus expressed the Father and the Spirit incarnate. It included all those other fruit of the Spirit. It all flowed through him. It poured out of him. The fruit, now I'm going to slow down, slow my words down, so you'll really hear this. The fruit of the Spirit in my life is not a possession as much as an expression of God's love flowing through me. It's a tall order, isn't it? Yeah. But he commands us to love as he loved. But notice, not as servants who just, here's the rules, go do it. Well, why do you want me to do this today? A servant didn't ask his master those kind of questions. You know, and even you, if you have a boss, even if it's a boss who likes you, and you always say when they say, I want you to go move that that stuff in that cabinet over here. Why do you want me to do that? (laughs) Why don't we just leave it there? You know, at 2 o'clock, I want you to go, why do I want... (laughs) You're not going to have your job long, or you're going to get on the bad side of that manager, aren't you? Like, their their job isn't to explain everything to you about why they're doing what they're... Now, if they're a nice person and they're wise, they'll include you where they can to let you be a part of it, give you insight to help you grow. 
but most bosses don't really care that much about all that. They just want stuff done. They don't want questions. Jesus says, listen, I'm not just giving you orders. I'm showing you my Father's heart and mind. This is amazing. You're, you're not just doing a master's bidding. Yeah, you're my servants, but you're more. You're my friends who you know my heart and my mind, and through me you can know the heart and mind of the Father. Look, the task is overwhelming, is it not? To, to, to be like Jesus, to follow his footsteps, to, to grow in grace and in the Spirit. But the promise is more overwhelming. See, for everything that you're overwhelmed by that Jesus says that's a little bit hard to do, <laughs> you're in good company. It's impossible to do without him. I mean, here, try this one on. Love your enemies on the count of three. How do you do that? You choose it because you chose Jesus, and you fall on your knees to him and ask him to be to you and give to you and show you. And you go to the cross and say, you said, Father, forgive them. They know what they do. You don't just say, well, since you said it, I'll just say those words. You, if you're going to truly love your enemies, you're going to have to find God's life. You're going to have to be connected to the vine. It's going to be supernatural. And all the things he, he told us are supernatural. They're not, they don't happen because you just decide them, but yet you do get to choose to go in that direction. So, and task is overwhelming, but the promise is more overwhelming. God's promises should overwhelm us. For every task, for every impossibility, there's a promise of God. It doesn't take that many promises of God to overflow all those tasks if you get focused. But I have to revisit this again and again. Well, to see the Spirit flow through us, to believe Him when He says in verse 16 now, um, which I have to go back to John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Listen, he said you'll both be fruit and ask in my name. He said it previously. Here he says it again, watching this great thing happen. But first of all, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Man, some of us have great memories. Some of you athletes, you great athletes, we really appreciate you. Because you were like the first one picked whenever they lined everybody up against the fence. And, you know, oh, I want John Wilkerson on my team. You know, oh, I got Wilkerson. I'm gonna, this, is, this is a piece of cake, man. And I'm not suggesting you weren't that person. It's great if you were. But if you weren't, John. Here's comfort for you. If you were more like the rest of us, standing against the fence and go, what? You picked that guy ahead of me? And now that guy? And now you're sweating. And you're just feeling you're getting smaller and smaller. And you're just, is there an ant hole I can crawl in? I'm going to be the last one chosen. Does anybody else have that experience? Can I talk about my childhood? Um. <laughs> Some of us were chosen quickly in those settings, and some of us waited to be the last one chosen. And if you've ever been anywhere where you were like, okay, come on. Come on, Wilkerson, you're on our team. <laughs> Why'd you take him? I had to. Shut up. <laughs> you know, that isn't the way it is with Jesus. You are not a leftover necessity that he has to deal with you because, oh, I said, if anyone will come to me, why did I have to say that? <laughs> Why did I have to say, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? 
gosh, I wish I would have said, with qualifications. That's not God. He made you. He knows you. He chose you. He chose you. And he appointed you. Amen. He appointed you. He placed you exactly where he wants you to bear fruit. Whatever your lot. Now, let me caveat this. I don't want to qualify everything I say because you'll have to be smart enough to not throw yourself down a deep black hole of horrible things that you're supposed to stay in that, are, that you could get out of. Okay, if there's bad situations that are evil and you can escape those, escape those. And God's intention isn't that you just um, place yourself in horrible, terrible, evil situations that you have a choice about. On the other hand, what we're really talking about is everybody has a lot in life, like Israel we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, is that they said, this is your lot, go possess it. Take control of it and make it fruitful. And they didn't get to choose it. It was given to them by lot. That was chosen for them, and that's where you... And you know, there's things you didn't choose in life, isn't there? And you can't fix them by running away from them. Some of them you can't escape. Some people spend their whole life trying to escape their lot. And they never bear fruit because they never plant and grow. So if you get what I'm saying, when you find yourself in the lot, God appointed you. And you know, there's no place where the vine doesn't go and bear fruit. And in fact, in Isaiah 41, it's on the back of your bulletin, but don't turn there. It says, I'll make springs in the wilderness. This is a constant theme in the Old Testament. Transfers to the new about God's ability to take where there's not fruitfulness. Shouldn't it be fruitfulness? It's just dry and desert and barren and hopeless. And God says, yeah, I'll bring springs right there. And I'll, I'll bring fruitfulness there. So if you're um, straining and struggling with God's choices for your life, the things that you can't control. The the, the most important thing you can control and you need is help, but you have to yield to it, is to be fruitful where he's planted you. Let him bear fruit in your life. Let Let him do with you because he's not limited by that desert you're in. He is not... We, it's all outward to us. It's all tactile. It's all what we can feel. I mean, it's also internal. In our soul, we have pain, and pain makes you do things. And pain can make you shut off to the things that God wants to make you rich in. And no amount of money or success or people praising you and patting you on the back can change that. It's got to be the Lord. And it's why he wants you to dwell in the land that he gives you and flood you with the fruit of his spirit where you are. Does that make sense to you? It's not easy. I'm not suggesting, like, just go do this. It'll take two minutes to figure it out, and you'll be fine. And don't call me in the morning, because I'm trying to do it too. You can call me, but we'll pray together, <laughs> okay? You can call me. We'll pray. So, so this is a constant, inescapable thing. He's chosen us as he appointed us. Now, here's the thing. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you ask for, excuse me. Well, what will I ask What will I ask for when I have truly understood? What will I ask and receive when I've truly gotten this message that Jesus is sharing? Well, let's start with that I'll probably not ask, stop asking for a different lot. I'll probably stop asking for a different lot. Now, Jesus did. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, in a few steps further, he's going to go in that garden. He's going to pray that prayer. But he says, nevertheless, your will not mine. So like he says, like, if this is my lot, let me be fruitful in it. 
And guess what? In that lot that was so painful that Jesus sweat drops of blood, knowing that he would be separated from the... It wasn't the physical pain alone. It was deeper. It was the, the separation becoming sin for us. Sweating drops of blood. Jesus was the most fruitful for you. He bore the most fruit. Listen, Jesus, if he had just said... I'm fruitful. Look at I'm glowing on the Mount of Transfiguration. I've lived a sinless life. I escaped. I overcame Satan in the wilderness when he tried to tempt me. I didn't let the Pharisees mess my brain up. I haven't done anything wrong. I've been pure and perfect. Guys, you're on your own. I'm going to heaven. I'm fruitful. That would not have been fruitful for us. It would have produced no fruit in you. You could not accomplish anything. You would never make it to be in his presence. He had to die for you, pour out his blood so that that fruit could flow, so the spirit could flow, so the fruit could flow in your life. And, you know, he does call people to that. We pray for our brothers and sisters under persecution who are pouring out their blood. And they don't have a different lot. That's their lot. That's it. And that's where God is making them fruitful. God be with them. God strengthen them. God give them each an understanding of things that only you can give them. We love our brethren who are suffering. And we pray for all who suffer, even at, who are not Christians, who are suffering in the hands of evildoers, that you would deliver them too. And that Christians would be there in the fruit of your spirit. You know, my friends, you can't pray the biggie prayers for people over there and just ask God to take care of it and then not be the same kind of person right here. That's when we're called hypocrites rightly. You're always going to be called a hypocrite. But when you're rightly called a hypocrite is when you pretend. (laughs) When you sin or fall short, that's not hypocrisy. That's just being human. But when you pretend and act like you really care, but when it's right in front of you, you don't really care. And, you know, everyone's somewhat of, everyone's somewhat of a hypocrite. Believer or not, we, we're, and everyone's self-righteous sometimes. Remember, I've been through all that, right? The, you can be a cat a lover and be self-righteous about how people care for their cats. You can be self-righteous about food. About oils. To wear, you know, you can be self-righteous about whatever you're into, can't you? And you don't have to be a Christian. You can be a hypocrite about whatever you're into, and you don't have to be a It's a human characteristic. Let's be the ones who acknowledge it, face it, and move past it. And when somebody calls you on it, and I've been called on it, you're right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Is that, I mean, you know, that's just being real. You know, we think God's asked us to walk 10 feet above the ground, float. Do you know there's, I railed on a guy at a, at a repairing a wheel on my car, a, a thing with my car when I first moved here. I have no idea why. Because in public and in most situations, I'm pretty, um, my most excitable time is right here, okay? I'm pretty calm. You get what I'm saying? I'm pretty, and I don't yell at people by nature, typically. And I just said, oh, I guess the customer's always wrong. And I just, fuming, and I sat down like this, waiting. And the Lord said, so, Rick, what is all this? 
I don't know what he said, but that's what I said. I mean, when he said, really? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, don't, I have no idea why I'm like this. So when the next person left the guy, and the guy was kind of fuming too, because like he, he tried to, he said, can we work this out? Oh, I mean, and I don't want to tell you the whole story, but I do know that I walked up to him, and some of you have heard this. I walked up to him, and it's the only one I'll tell you because it worked out well. <laughs> no, um, I walked up there. I said, hey, excuse me. He looks at me like, oh, boy, another I'm going to get earful again. I said, I do not know why I treated you the way I did. It's not typical for me, but I'm certainly responsible for being completely out of control, totally wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. I did wrong, and I just want to ask you if you could forgive me. And he says, you don't know what that means to me, to have you say that to me. And I didn't say, well, that's because I'm a really great Christian, and I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I, I said, listen, uh, I'm glad it makes you feel better. I, I, I really, you're helping me. I feel terrible. It's not, you know, I don't know if I even mentioned the Lord. The thing I needed to do was humble myself and apologize. And I'll see the guy later, and maybe we'll talk about Jesus, you know. But, you know, I didn't have anything other, ch- I sometimes you don't have any, if you're really clear in your mind, you don't have another choice except to be honest and to be real and be repentant. And like, don't play spiritual games with everything. Just be the person you're supposed to be, and when you blow it, repent. Which means you not just say, God, forgive me, but if there's a person you've hurt, you go to them and say, would you forgive me? And you give them the chance to say no. Say, well, I pray that someday you can. Because it isn't your job to force. Well, you have to forgive me. (laughs) Why don't you let the Holy Spirit do that? You've already been doing your job really well. So, you get what I'm saying? Okay. You you better say sure, because I'll just keep going. It's terrible. So, you won't be asking for a different law. What did Jesus ask the Father for? Go through the scriptures. Do you want to know the answer to that? I'm not going to give it to you in like a list for you. Go through the scriptures and look at the prayers that Jesus prayed. Because he always got everything he asked for. He was in the spirit. That would really help us in our prayer. What did Jesus ask for? And ask for those things. True blessing produces fruit in others. And Jesus was always looking. When I'm doing my best, I'm not looking to experience love, joy, and peace as much as, and certainly not trying to manufacture it out of the ends of my fingers. Okay, here it goes. Love, joy, peace. You don't manufacture it. You abide. You get close to him. Isn't it great? You know, there's people you really like who are Christians, and there's people you don't like so much who are Christians. But every one of them gets to go to the real Jesus and get near him just as much as you do, and you get to go just as much as Billy Graham or whoever. There's no difference there is that there's a true vine and I get to go to him even if I'm messed up and you get to go to him even if you're messed up see everything else is qualified in life with people you know they qualify they look at you they measure you they look at how you what you offer them and you know all this without even knowing it we do this we got an incredible computer here about how what am I going to get from this person talking right now do I want to invest in that three minutes I mean, we actually can do that kind of stuff without even knowing it. Jesus has already invested in you everything he's got. Why would he want you not to be near him? Why would he not want you not to be fruitful? We get lied to a lot. We get lied to a real lot. 
So, Jesus, I can just get close to him and listen for his heart and his mind. Oh, yeah, it's tough sometimes, but if I do that, I'll be fruitful. I'll produce fruit that others may partake of. Joy and peace flow more naturally through me as I participate supernaturally with him. You see, can I, I just need to yield to Jesus. You know when you're on the road and the signs, you're coming up on another street and it says yield. What does that mean? Speed up really fast and cut the guy off from the right because you can tell he's not going as fast as you want to go. All right, well, that's because you're New Yorkers or Californians. It's everywhere, okay? It's like patience and driving. That was, uh, that went out with uh, whatever, okay? <laughs> A long time. Patience and driving. Patience, the fruit of the Spirit. Patience. So this, now you've passed your driver's test. You're coming up to get on, and you yield, so you come in behind. And if that guy's going, if you're going him in behind the Lord, and the Lord's going 55, you go 55. And the Lord slows down to 30, you don't pull on the right and pass him on the right. <laughs> you go slow down to 30. You, you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You yield to the Spirit. You're not in control. You're not, oh, come on, Holy Spirit, I'll show you the way. You're not, do this in my life, I demand. You're just, you're, you're just coming in line with him, yielding to the Spirit. Can I measure this work of the Spirit, this love? Well, it's measurable and it's immeasurable. It's measurable that you can say, here's the love, as the Father loves Jesus and as Jesus loves us. That's the love. There's the measurement. What is the measurement? Well, it's immeasurable. <laughs> it's eternal, incredible, and I'm not really uh, seeing myself live up to that, are you? But, but this is, we walk in love. We don't create love. You know, I always do the thing on the count of three, feel this or do this or love. You can't just create it. That's a burden. That's one of those burdens, again, that we don't bear. I, I don't sit and think about how I feel about somebody other than if I feel negatively. Then I take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to seek you about why I feel negatively about this person. And I still need to let it go usually and just rather than maybe there's something to deal with or maybe I need to just say, God, fill me with love for this person and I choose to yield to this love and I choose to love them because love is an action word. It's just it's something I do. And you go, well, Rick, that's not, that's not real. You're just pretending. It says put on Jesus Christ. Is that a put on? Is that a pretend? No, I'm putting on Christ. I'm saying, you know what? What I feel doesn't matter as much as what you know. And you know that you love this person. You love that person. So I'm going to choose to love them too. And you know what? I act like I love them. None of you are going to know who I'm acting like I love or don't. If you spend your time worrying about this guy doing that, you're completely lost, okay? That's not your job to figure out how sincere I am. You don't even know how sincere you are. So how are you going to figure out how sincere another person is? You don't even know how sincere you are or insincere you are. See, when it's all about you, all you can do is become confused. But if it's about Jesus and you're a pipe where the Spirit's flowing through, what you do is how much junk is in this pipe making it hard for the Spirit to get through? Lord, wash it out, you know? Cleanse that so that you can flow through me. I don't try to... And if you spend too much time trying to feel God's love and feel peace and feel joy, I just have to t- you'd have to find somebody else to teach you. I don't know how to do that. I just don't know how to do that. And I don't worry about that. 
It was a long time ago where the Lord kind of seemed to say, Rick, stop worrying about what you feel and believe me. And so when I don't, except this, when I feel, I don't feel peace, then I ask, Lord, why don't I feel peace? What's the source of this unrest? Now that's fair and that's right because God will lead me to what's stopping the flow. I don't feel love. I don't feel peace. I don't, I'm not experiencing these things, Lord. Perhaps something's clogged in my pipe. What is it? And God's going to show me how to be set free. He's not going to say, oh, don't worry about Rick. I'll sprinkle, sprinkle some love feeling on you. I don't have that. And I do feel God. But I found that when people try to feel things, they get confused and they go up, and they go down, and they go up, and they go down. And I don't think love and joy and peace are feelings as much as a flow of God's work in your life, and you're believing him. And I see when I'm not believing him, and I see when I am believing him. Does that make sense to you? Look for whether you're believing him, not whether you're feeling him. Change the word feel for believe, and see where it takes you. Trust honor. <laughs> now I went another level here. Not just am I believing you, am I trusting you, because also including that, am I honoring you, or am I dishonoring you? Because if I'm dishonoring the Lord, I'm not going to feel peace and joy. So there's a wide range there to look at. And there's also, sometimes you're going to have to fight not feeling good, but you can have a confidence I don't feel a lot of peace right now. I'm not feeling a lot of joy, and I'm not feeling a lot of love, but I know that I know that Jesus is my Lord, and I'm trusting him right now, and I'm going to wade through this and walk through this dark valley knowing that God's with me. You know, you don't have to be ashamed of that. Are you ashamed because you have to hold on to the Lord in a hard time? I don't want to make you feel that. That's not the point here. Hang on to him. He loves you. You know, I put 1 John 2.10 on the front of your bulletin because speaking of love, the biggest issue he talks about is loving one another the way he loves us and the way the Father loves him. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause from stumbling in him. In other words, as I am walking in obedience to God in what he's telling me here, letting the Spirit rule and and just seeking him, I'm going to have less opportunity to fall down and make a lot of mistakes and, and stumble in sin. Because my focus is proper. And you know, God used a guy named Louis Mercer to teach me that. I uh, actually told his whole story, my buddy Louis, at a family camp in, on the Oregon coast many decades ago, two decades ago easily. And uh, he's, he was an extreme person, so different from me at the time. Now we're not so different because one of us needed to change a lot. <laughs> Guess who? He was so extreme. How extreme was he? I'll tell you the rest of my story for a minute, in a minute, he, about just what, what happened at the coast. But uh, like one of the things, I went on a team with him. Uh, we were a youth team, and he was the pastor, and I was the head deacon. And we traveled across the country, hitchhiked, and then we set up in Richmond, Virginia, at a house that already was established as a ministry. And then Louie and I took a trip up to D.C., and Louis says, come on, I got a friend we can stay with. He's, he's, he lives, on the, he lives in uh, military housing on the base in Washington, D.C. at the military, Andrews, is it? Andrews Air Force Base. 
Oh, wow, Andrews Air Force Base, cool. So we go over there, and he goes, I say, well, I, I can't get a hold of him. I can't. His number's been a different number. Well, how do you know he's still there? Oh, he's still there. Rick, you worry too much. Well, I mean, okay, so how are we going to go to his place? If I know right where it is, we're just going to have to climb this fence because we don't have clearance. <laughs> climb the fence? What? This is a military base. I know it was pre-9-11. You won't get shot, but you will get put in jail. <laughs> you know, I go, I'm not climbing that fence. Oh, you way too much. <laughs> Louie, I'm not, I stood my ground on that one. You know, I didn't climb the fence, and he went with me, and we did all that. So that's how extreme. And I was this uptight, a young Christian. I know it's hard to believe that I was this tense, um, um, well, a serious person. How about that? I was very serious. It was like, got to walk with Jesus. No humor is not out. And Louie would, you know, if the sign said, don't go in the kitchen, you know, unless you've been invited in because the cooks are in there. Louie would just march right in and say, hey, is there any cookies here? Oh, thanks, sister. And he'd just walk out with the cookies. And I'd be going, what? And, and you know, I told the story at camp. And for a year, people wanted me to do Louie, which I know you won't. <laughs> You're mature people, but uh, and, and and Louis, bear with me, forgive me, but I'm the jerk. You were the kind person, but Louis was extreme personality, and everything about him bothered me, and I hated him. And when they set up teams, I mean, I really did. You know, I just you know I was fighting it. Okay, I'm a Christian, so I can't hate people, but I can fight a battle to not hate people. How's that? Is that okay? So, <laughs> so I'm I'm hating Louis. <laughs> And uh, I can't stand him. And uh, they're setting up teams, and we're doing that choosing thing where they call you, okay, the head, the head pastor's going to be this to go to Boston. The assistant is this guy. And I'm going, no, Lord, please, Lord, no, Lord, please, Lord. And they go through three teams with the pastor and the head deacon, and I'm going to be the head deacon, and, and I'm not chosen. And all those guys were soft-spoken, gentle, you know, wire-rim glasses, John Lennon-looking kind of guys that, oh, man, what a spiritual man. I could follow him. And then it go, then they said, and, and Louie knew that I hated him because it's hard to hide when you're so disdain for someone. I tried to stay away from him. And then they said, okay, D.C. team, Louie Mercer, pastor. No, Lord, please. I'm sure he was praying the same thing. No, Lord, please, Lord. No, Lord, please, Lord. No, Lord, please, Lord. Not, this is not my lot. 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 <laughs> Head deacon Rick Cohen. I visibly groaned and shuddered. You know, he came across the room at the end of the night and we're breaking up after we prayed. And he goes, put his best face on. He goes, and he's kind of twisted body. He'd gotten a motorcycle wreck. And he's like, um, he goes, hey, bro, looks like we're on the same team. He puts his hand on. I said, yeah. And I just marched. I just like, I'm serious. It was horrible. It was horrible how I treated him. I hated him. So eventually we're in a van, no seats in it, just the front seats, and he's laying there sleeping, a bunch of guys, we're in this group labor job, and I'm sitting over on the side, I'm staring at Louie, and I'm going, Lord, why on earth did you, I so much wanted to grow spiritually, I so much wanted to be connected to somebody who would help me grow, and you put me with Louie, why? I did put you with Louie, Rick. Louis is going to teach you about grace. Louis is going to teach you about being free from self-condemnation. Louis is going to teach you how to love others the way I love you. And I 
could only say, yes, sir. And Louie was best man at our wedding. And I was best man at his wedding. Our lives still, from there on, went a little bit different. And he loves the Lord. And, they, and he's a different kind of guy. And I'm, a, I'm probably, he's probably talking about me right now, man. And, you know, everything, he, everything he'd say about what he had to put up with is true and worse and worse. We can't do it without him. But he won't do it without us. I could have said, yeah, well, I don't need Louis Mercer. I'm out of here. You know, the great thing about that crazy youth ministry time of the 70s was you plunk you down in a commune, and you, unless you run away, you can't escape people. And I think God knew that Rick Cohen would be an escape artist and would just kind of make his own way with all his parameters and boundaries. I mean, you know, I talk about, yeah, I need to have healthy boundaries. Unhealthy boundaries aren't just, aren't just having no boundaries. They're also having boundaries that are so far out that you don't have to touch anybody or anything. And for those of you that wish you could live on a mountain with no people within 500 yards and just worship the Lord, you're fooling yourself that you would never grow in Christ. And he's, that, he's never ordained that. And, and so you can't do it without him. You've got to abide in him. It was the only way for me to grow was to cling to Jesus and repent constantly and just go through my, my whole thing. And, and maybe I went through a lot of that stuff early so that I could help others with some stability, but I don't consider that to be like I'm Superman. That's just something I went through extremely in the early years. And I was, God was just kind to me. I don't have any other reason. But I didn't run away. I wanted to. And I do see people in our day and age, like running is the easiest, quickest thing to do. And kind of nobody holds you accountable. And you get mad when somebody tries to hold you accountable. Right? You, meaning Joe Christian. We don't force accountability here. We're not going to come sneak into your house and demand how you behave and who you like and how you accept. You you just can't do that. It becomes a weird, weird thing when you do that. But I can say it to your face, any one of you, honestly, with sincerity, with the love of Jesus Christ, don't run away from things that God wants you to face. Don't run away from things God wants you to face. Because if you want to be fruitful, you're only second in line. He desperately wants you, if I could say it that way, to be fruitful. I've chosen you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, fruit that remains. God wants to do a lasting work in your life. How long does that work supposed to last? Forever. God wants you to have treasure in heaven. He doesn't want your works to be burned up. He doesn't want you building your life with wood, hay, and stubble. Would you love a God who didn't care about you enough to tell you the truth? Who knew what was coming and knew what you were going to face and knew what was meaningful in life and said, I'm not going to tell them what's really meaningful. I'll just let them guess. And if they get distracted by stupid stuff, that's their problem. You have neighbors like that. 
You have co-workers like that. You have some family members like that. But God isn't like that. He loves you too much. He loves you too much. He's not afraid of pain because he knows. But you might be suffering more pain because you're fighting him. And the only thing I can encourage you to do is like I need to do is make sure that the pain I'm face is the pain that God intends, but not the pain that comes from fighting my Savior who wants to bring forth fruit in my life. Why don't we stand?